What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 100 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be in this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. I can't believe we made 100. When this journey began back in the fall of 2017, it was a it was an idea. I thought I might run out of people, and doggone, here we are a couple years later, and leaders are still coming, and really every episode just gets better and better and better. And so I want to say thank you to all the guests from Jason Romano and the very first one and Andy Stanley and Shannon Bream and Vince Dooley and so many that helped get me out of the gate, John Gordon, to today. Thank you to all the guests. But thank you more to each of you. Thanks for always tuning in. Thanks for making this part of your your habit of listening so you can be the best leader that you were created to be. You know, this journey really sort of began a few years before the podcast began as as this phrase spiritual leadership burst on my uh burst on my personal scene. Really had never thought about it before when I went to a conference with the Blackaby group and I did a coaching weekend and it was life-changing. And there at that coaching weekend, I met a gentleman named Dr. Richard Blackaby, the son of of the legendary Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God. And I bought his book, and actually they gave us his book, Spiritual Leadership, and it was a game changer. And I remember I came home, began to take leaders in our community, not just our church, but leaders in our community that wanted to be leaders like God wanted them to be through that book. And it has been a transformational book. I would say in the leadership category, top five I've ever read, if not the top. And Richard Blackaby is the heart behind it. Today, Dr. Richard Richard Blackaby is going to be my guest. He's been the president of Blackaby Ministries International since 2006. He's authored or co-authored 36 books He's worked in the seminary. He's worked in the church. But here's what I will tell you. He gets leadership. He regularly ministers to Christian CEOs and family and church leaders across the United States. And he is one of not only the most down-to-earth leaders I've ever met, but intuitive and smart. And I tell you what, just speaks to my heart. So I couldn't think of anybody better for our 100th episode than Dr. Richard Blackaby. So I hope you've got something to write in. Hope you got something to type on. And I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Dr. Richard Blackaby. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Oh, my privilege to be with you, Mike. 
Well, when you were growing up, and I know a little bit about your growing up years just from hearing you speak, did you see yourself choosing the ministry route you've been in all these years and following in the footsteps of your father? Or did you have a different bent that you thought your life would take? You know, I I, uh, I was fortunate to grow up in a home with the greatest man of God that I've ever known. And so he certainly had a huge influence on me. But, uh, you know, in part, I, I, I struggled with that. He's such a great man of God. It's like, how could I do that? You know, I just don't have what it takes. And uh, so uh, I saw what could happen, but I just, you, you look at yourself and you feel so ordinary. But the thing about my dad is he taught me to, he said, you know, God doesn't really, you hear a lot of people, a pastor say, well, I, I was called to preach. You know, I was called to pastor. My dad said, no, you're really, you're just called to follow Jesus. And, mm. and so he may call you to be a pastor for a while, but then he may call you to be an author or might call you to, you know, be a teacher who knows. Uh, so don't get too hung up on what you're called to do. You're, you're called to follow. And if you're, if you're right where Jesus wants you today, you're right where you need to be. And so my life's actually taken a couple of turns. I, I thought I'd be a pastor and then I became a seminary president. Now I lead a nonprofit and I, I'm guessing that God's not done with me yet. So, you know, I, I kind of don't want to get too, too tied down and just to a, a job. Just, I just want to stay with my calling and following him. What did that do for you as a son? So you've got this high, very high profile dad whom so many know and God's used in so many great ways. When he shared it with you like that, what did it do for you as a young man growing up as you looked out into your future? And he didn't give me easy answers. And I remember in college, I'd come to dad and I'd say, well, dad, do you think I should major in this? Or I've been invited to, you know, be an honor student in history. Should I do that or should whatever? And and typically dad would just say, well, I think you should go and ask God. And uh, I'd say, well, yeah, well, I, you know, I plan to pray about it, but I want to know what you think. And dad just said, uh, he'd say, I think you need to ask God. And uh, and later I talked to him about that and I said, why did you always steer me to God? Like, why didn't you, you know, you're this influential, most influential person in my life. Like, why don't you just tell me what you thought I should do? And he said, well, because two things, he said, one, God's a lot smarter than me. So he said, I didn't want you to base your life on your dad's opinion. I wanted you to base your life on God and his word and his guidance. And he said, secondly, I, 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 had, to, I had to think about the future. He said, I didn't want to train you so that every time you had a problem or a question, you came to your dad. He said, I want to train you so every time you had a question, you went to God. He said, I don't, always, I don't know that I'll always be around here for you, uh, but God will be. So he said, uh, why make you dependent upon me? Uh, I, I made, I wanted you to always just beat a well-worn path to God and you'd always get the best guidance that way. Have you been able to, as you became a dad, and I know you've got three children mm -hmm. uh, with families now, as you became a dad, was that, did that make that easier to emulate to them? Cause as a dad, we want to answer all our kids questions. Yeah. How did you do that as a dad? Well, I'll tell you, it's hard, you know, I, I, it made me appreciate how my dad did it because I've got lots of opinions for my kids. <laughs> and even if they don't ask for help, I, I really would like to tell them anyway, but uh, yeah, it, it, and in fact, as a parent, it, you know, it's a, it's a huge test of your faith in God. Can I, can I trust God with my kids? You know, you love your kids so much and you want them to do the right thing so much that, uh, to just sort of be quiet and just steer them toward God. 
uh, that's a hard thing to do. And it, 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 as my dad would always say, um, you know, if you, if you feel like you've got to keep meddling and you've got to keep nagging and nattering and, and staying on top of your kids, that actually says more about what you believe about God than about what you believe about your kids. You're, you're saying God's not trustworthy. I, mm. I, God, thanks for the help, but I think I better keep my hand on the wheel on this one. It's too important. And God would say, well, because it's so important is why you need to let go and give it to me. You know, you, you, you named it a second ago. You've been a pastor. You've been a seminary president. Now you lead a, a nonprofit. You're an author. You've co-authored and authored over 35 books. And you've been a parent and a husband. <laughs> which, which, of those, which of those required the most of you in leadership and trusting God? Which, which one of those would you say was the hardest? You know, there's no question about it. I, I've been a leader all my life. I'm a firstborn child of five siblings, and uh, I, I've just naturally led in sports. Uh, it, every every job I've ever had, I've basically been uh, in management or the boss. Uh, and uh, and and I've had lots of problems come in my door. You know, I've had I've had my academic dean come in and tell me something that alerted me I was going to have to fire somebody. You know, or I I I heard problem came in my door. I knew the next call I had to make was to an attorney, you know, to get legal counsel or, uh, we, or, okay, now we got to raise a million dollars. I've had lots of challenging problems coming in my door, but I, I honestly, and I don't say this to brag. I just leaders, what leaders do is they solve problems. And, uh, and, and after all these years of leading, I cannot remember a problem ever coming in my door that we didn't solve that, you know, it wasn't always easy, but, and I, and I, I don't remember ever just panicking. I, I, every time someone brought a problem in as big as it might be, I, I always knew that we'd find a way through. We, we, I knew that there was a solution. We might not know it yet, but we'd find it. But hands down, the, the, the times uh, that I have cried out to God and just said, God, I don't have a clue what to do next. Uh, those times have all been in my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, those have been with teenage kids when my, in times, maybe when my wife was struggling and I had done everything I knew to do and it wasn't enough. And, you know, I, I, I had those, I've had, I'll never forget some of those nights just late at night crying out to God saying, I'm the dad, I'm the husband. I, I can't fix this. I, I it worked. I've used every problem solving skill that's always work for me at work and none of it's working in my home. Uh, God, I need, I need more. So, uh, absolutely leadership in the home. And I have people come up to me and they say, well, Richard, I know you work with corporate CEOs and you work with all kinds of leaders and they'll say, uh, I'm not, I'm not a leader. And, and I'll typically say, well, are you a parent? They'll say, yeah. And I'll say, well, then you've got the, the biggest leadership role That's you'll right. ever have right there. Don't ever minimize that. There's more at stake there than uh, anything else you might lead. I love that. And I, and I love that you've always been a natural leader. So that's something you've seen in your life. When did your fascination with learning leadership? So, I mean, there's one thing to be a leader and it comes naturally. I'm out on the ball field. I'm in the room. I'm in the business office, whatever we're doing. When did that fascination of learning about this aspect of leadership, when did that really trigger for you? Well, you know, uh, I guess really when I became a pastor, I, I, uh, I came to a church that had gone through just years of decline and crisis and just my, you know, just a minefield of, 
problems. And, um, and I got there and I had, by that time I had a PhD, had several degrees, uh, all the schooling I'd ever won. And, and I, but I just realized, I just, I, I don't know what to do. I like, this is beyond me. They just didn't talk about this, a lot of this stuff in seminary. And, and what I noticed growing up was uh, my dad showed up in a denomination in Canada and all these churches around us, like they were all struggling. They were all declining. They're all, they're all just trying to hold on. Like you talk to some of those pastors, how's it going? Well, we're hanging in there. You know, we're just trying to, trying to get through. It's not easy. And, uh, and then my dad shows up and, um, he just, in, in his church, he doesn't have anything more to work with than any of those other churches do, but stuff just starts happening. And it's just exciting everywhere. My dad goes, exciting stuff starts happening. And it's not like he's got lots of money or anything. He, he, he had one of the worst buildings, uh, but stuff happens. And I just remember just growing up watching that saying, why, why does stuff always happen where my dad is? And these other guys, it seemed like nothing ever happens. Uh, and I just began to realize, well, that's, that's leadership. That's, that's what leaders do. They, they, they come into a tough place and they start solving problems and they, they start seeing the possibilities and uh, they start just having the courage to do whatever God tells them to do next. And, and God blesses that. And so I'd seen that growing up. And then all of a sudden when I'm a pastor and I'm facing a really tough situation, I realized, um, you know, I, I always heard people say, well, Richard, I, I did the best I could. And that's supposed to kind of just get you off their back because they didn't, you know, not a lot happened. And at one point I, I wasn't trying to be cruel, but I just said, well, maybe your best wasn't good enough. Like maybe, maybe God wanted to take your best to another level, but you know what? People don't need your best. They need God's best. And uh, maybe that your problem is you spent most of your life only giving people your best when they needed God's best. And uh, so that when I, I really realized that when I became a pastor, I realized, you know what? My, I clearly realize now my best is not enough. And so the only way to give them more is to elevate, to grow my best, take it to another level. And God's got to do that. And so I've been on a lifelong quest ever since I really, since I started my career, uh, I've been reading, studying, listening to podcasts like yours and just doing whatever I can uh, to try to grow. I, I don't want to ever end the year the same leader I was that started that year. There's That's always so room to grow. And uh, and so I, I, I think it's the worst crime I could commit to the people I lead to end the year the same leader I was that started that year. That is so good. It, you know, and it, it doesn't take long opening your book, Spiritual Leadership, which we're going to get into here in a second, to see your love of history. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, to see that every chapter, in fact, one of the one of the gentlemen in my group, one of my groups was a history. He was a history teacher. He's your principal now. And he said, boy, he captured me with his stories from history. What can history teach us about leadership by learning and knowing where those that have gone before us have come yeah. from? What can it teach us now? Well, you know, when I started out, uh, you, you couldn't really, they, they didn't have classes on leadership. Uh, mm -hmm. You couldn't, there's no degrees in leadership when I was in school. So the the, the closest thing I could come to was history. History, mm -hmm. and you know, I, there, people have kind of disparaged the great man theory of, of history uh, of late, but um, I'm not completely uh, 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 disillusioned with that approach. I, I think a lot of history is, a story of people that dared to grow, to dared to tackle problems, 
uh, dared to, you know, step up and make a difference. Uh, and, uh, and so that's what I love about history. It's, it's because people, the, the nature of people is still the same as it's ever been. The that's people right. are complainers, they're doubters, they're, they're critics, they lack faith, they lack courage, they're selfish. And so how do you, how do you take, you know, people like that and accomplish great things? Well, it takes leadership. It's people, I don't know how many pastors have come to me and they, they're ready to leave their church after six months because they got there and they realized that these people are messed up, you know, I, and, and I'm like, well, don't you think God knew that when he called you to those people? Like, maybe God just wanted you to help them get unmessed up. Uh, and so I, I love history because it's just the story of people that just hung in there and made a difference. And uh, so, you know, the, the times are different now. Uh, Technology is different, but so many of those people issues are fundamentally the same. And, uh, and, and how to take people from where they are to where God wants them to be is the fundamental challenge of every age. Um, and so I, I love that. And I, you know, it's funny. I, I mean, I wrote, a, I wrote that leadership book the, in the style that I enjoy. Uh, some people get bogged down. They, they, you know, they don't like history or, you know, they get tired of uh, so many pages of examples, but, but I love, uh, I always loved his uh, leadership books that brought you next to great people. And I, you know, Proverbs 13, uh, 20 or so says, uh, you know, if you if you hang around wise people, you become wise. That's right. And uh, one of the things I learned about biographies is that by reading a biography, you get up next to the greatest leaders of history. I mean, obviously, I can't get next to Alexander the Great today, but by picking up a biography, I can. And all of a sudden, I'm right there in his little circle, listening to his reasoning. How are we going to take you know tackle this army that's way bigger than ours and you know our people are at the other end of the world they're getting discouraged what do we do um and so i love just by biographies just getting next to some of the greatest leaders of all time and you may not always agree with what they did but you're you're watching them work it out and you realize well and now in my day i got to work stuff out too so uh, I love that because it's it, some of that stuff rubs off you in biographies. I'm hoping lots of it will on me. <laughs> Who, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite leader from history to study outside scripture? So I want to ask a scripture question here in a second. Outside scripture, who's somebody that you look back at their life and you say, "Man, it is just for me so chock full of examples and leadership that I can learn from." Anybody stand out for you? You know, I, it's funny, like all, all of my favorite leaders are flawed people. So, uh, you know, it, it, like if, if, if I want to look at a Churchill or Abraham Lincoln, or, you know, I just was reviewing again, the biography on Ulysses Grant. Uh, some of those guys are kind of disparaged uh, oftentimes, but you, when you get to know them, you really are impressed with a lot of their character and, and uh, what they did. But, uh, you know, I, I love the Duke of Marlborough, Duke of Wellington, uh, uh, you know, but, but you, I, I people sort of joke with me cause I, I feel like if you're going to read a good biography, it needs to at least be 800 to a thousand pages. And so I've got, you can kind of see me, uh, you're uh, yeah. I, like, I just got lots of big, thick biographies, but when you read a biography that thick, um, they, they'll pull out their flaws, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I, I don't care if it's Winston Churchill, who it is, they had all kinds of flaws and weaknesses. And, but, but so that's why like, I'd say, well, I, I really like this guy, but boy, I could tell you lots of his shortcomings too. 
but uh but to me that just makes me appreciate him all the more it's like this guy had that many issues and he still was able to save his country (laughs) (laughs) like or pastors you know you realize wow that guy had he battled insecurities and he had these issues and he had wayward child and he had this and that but still look what he look what god did nonetheless and that to me that gives me hope i if they were all superheroes men of steel that you know were bulletproof um i couldn't identify with that but um but for and you know the bible's the same way it's uh it it sort of shows the flaws as well and and that that always gives me instead of me discounting them it makes me realize maybe i can learn from this guy because he sounds a lot more like me than i thought I think for so many that don't know the Bible, that's the part they don't know. They don't know, yeah. well, you open it up. God's just not telling you the, the the great side of the story. He's sort of telling you the underbelly of it and how he yeah. used people in spite of. Who's your favorite leader in Scripture to study? Who's been the one that you go, you look back at and you go, there's just so much there in their life of leadership? Well, you know, I've written some books on Joshua, wrote a book on uh, Elijah. Uh, those are two guys in particular um, that I, I really admire. Uh, and they both had, especially Elijah, you know, he's ready to quit <laughs> and have a pity party, uh, which is, is funny because, uh, you know, he coming off of the greatest uh, victory he's ever had, he, I mean, you read just, you're about two verses into the next chapter, he's ready to quit. And it's right. like, wow. But, you know, James says he had a nature very much like ours. Um, You could be, you know, sometimes when you're at your greatest height, you're the closest to your greatest depth. Uh, Mm. uh, And uh, if you're only one decision away or all you got to do is take your eyes off of God for just a moment and er the whole world changes really quick on you. And, uh, and I always like to, uh, Joshua, cause he, he let, you know, he, he, he's an associate for years. He's not the number one guy, uh, and he's faithful at that. And uh, for all he knows, he'll always be a number two guy. He doesn't know that Moses is going to kind of mess up right at the edge of the promised land and not end up going in. And uh, so Joshua's, he's just, he's, you know, the Bible says if you're faithful in a little, God will give you more. And and doesn't say when, you know, Joshua's a faithful associate for 40 years. You figure after that long, that's as far as you're going but he's ready. And the thing I like about Joshua is that Moses and it's Moses got a different group of people, but you know, people are complaining about Moses all the time and he's constantly having his, his associate underlings bucking against his authority or whatever. You never see that with Joshua. You know, you don't, you just don't see all of his associates complaining and saying we could do it as well as you. And you, and you wonder in part if that's not because Joshua had been an associate for so long that he knew how to work with associates. He knew what they needed. Um, he, he, Moses doesn't really know how to work well with people, doesn't know how to delegate. It's obvious. Uh, but, you know, 40 years of being delegated to, he, he, Joshua, you just never see pushback with him. And, uh, you know, God's obviously taken 40 years to beat some of that out of them in the wilderness but uh uh but josh was one of those unspoken kind of guys he just he just gets the job done you know he just he just sort of tackles the problem and not a lot of big speeches not a lot of you know he's got some miracles but a lot of it's just a day in and day out getting the job done and uh so you know that lots of guys in the bible i, I really admire uh, nehemiah certainly mm-hmm. 
but uh, they're they're all people that tackled a problem. They, there was right. a problem, and they just waded in and they got, they, they they dealt with it. And uh, that's of course the, I say that's the difference between leaders and politicians. You know, leaders solve problems. Politicians just they hold office. Uh, I wish we had more leaders in, in government today, but uh, uh, it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, and that's why whenever someone wants to quit a job, you want to have a pastor say, "I want to." Could you? Do you know any churches who need a pastor? I'm looking for a move. I say, "Well, why are you moving from where you are?" Well, there's just a lot of problems in my church. I say, "Well, that's what leaders do. Like, if there were no problems, they would right. you. Like, your problems are your job security." <laughs> That is so good. That is so good. You know, I, I, number one, I've never thought about it that with Joshua, that he did not get the pushback. I've never thought about that, that Moses got, and you think Joshua and Caleb were two that saw it and said they could do it. How bitter he could have been of going, we're out here. I told you we didn't, but they didn't. And, uh, he led in such incredible, I never thought about it. That way. You know, it's interesting too because uh, it says near the end of Joshua, it says basically all the days of Joshua and all the days of his associates. I mean, after Joshua dies, all the men that he worked with, as long as those men were around, God's people stayed with God. You know, wow. sadly, their kids didn't, mm. but his associates. Uh, as long as even any of them or anyone that still, hey, weren't you, didn't you work with Joshua? Yeah, I was one of his VPs, you know. As long as those guys were around, the God's people stayed with it. And so he had an influence um, that kept people loyal to him. And I, I know working with staffs and things, sometimes that's a challenge. Um, yeah. One of the biggest headaches of leaders sometimes is the people they work with, the people, their leadership team, how to keep them all loyal and focused and uh not divided and so on, dissenting. And Joshua figured that out. And it's not put out in neon lights, but you know, sometimes when you read the Bible, what you have to notice is what you don't see. Mm-hmm. Like when you're reading Numbers, Exodus, there you're reading about these complaints and murmurings and grumblings against Moses. And you, if you're not careful, you read Joshua and you don't you don't stop to think, wait a minute, we're not reading that anymore. That's good. Like, it, it's like don't just don't just focus on what you see, focus on what you're not seeing too. Mm. That's, that's, uh, and I've seen that a lot, even with pastors, you know, you, I, I'll, I'll be in a church and a pastor will be just nonstop trouble, nonstop problems. And, and the pastor's a great guy, but he's constantly being criticized and, and there's power struggles and all this and immorality. And, and then you go to another church and you, you ask, what, what are your problems? Well, you know, we have some, but it, pretty great actually things are going wonderful well why is why are things going so well here and i there's lots of reasons for that but i i, I never stop I, I never i always kind of notice when i see a church or a company a business where you, you just don't see like a constant turmoil and division and bickering it's like well, why isn't that here and oftentimes the reason is because there's some good leadership going on behind the scenes. And so you just don't see some of those problems rising up like they do in other places. That's really good. And I love your thought on pastors and, you know, there are problems everywhere. And that's part of it. I remember being in seminary and one of my professors, it was a gentleman, he was a pastor for a long, long time. And he, one of the students in class said, well, the deacons, you know, I got to this new church and the deacons are running the church. And I remember this guy, he'd been at his church for 30 years. 
he stopped. He said, you know why the deacons run the church? Because no pastor sticks long sticks around long enough to run it themselves. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. And yeah. I filed that. I was young at the time and filed that away. And there's a lot of truth to that, that, that yeah. it's so easy to disappear, which which leadership, and I know in your book, and we'll, I want to dive into the book a little bit, in the book, really crisis helps promote leadership as much as anything, and yeah. problems help promote leadership. Why, why do crisis and problems really elevate so many leaders throughout history, throughout scripture? Why, why does that become a real fertile ground for guys to show leadership? Well, you know, when things are going well, you don't necessarily have a sense you need leaders. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, it's interesting when you study, historians love to rate U.S. presidents and rate them, you know, who's the best and down the line. And and uh, what's interesting is that the, the, the presidents that get rated the highest, typically uh, Abraham Lincoln is right at the top, George Washington's right at the top, Franklin Roosevelt usually is up for it pretty high, Truman. Theodore Roosevelt, those five usually uh, often are the, the top five, but they're all like dealing, leading in the worst crises in American mm-hmm. history. And then historians will say, well, this guy actually was pretty talented and smart. It just, he didn't have a crisis. So, you know, he never got to really demonstrate his greatness because there things were going great, you know, roaring twenties, uh, booming stock exchange, uh, no, no major, you know, droughts or depressions or anything. So, they might've been a great leader. We just will never know. Mm. And so what, what we find is that it's in the times of crisis that leaders sort of earn their keep. They, they earn their spurs. And it's like, that's why we have a leader. It's a, and now every eye is turned toward the leader. When in times of prosperity, all your management, they all think that they're experts and, and they're, everything is great. All of a sudden there's a COVID-19 and every eye is on you saying, what pastor, what are we going to do? And I keep telling people, uh, this is your opportunity. There, there is an opportunity behind every problem. That's right. Uh, and leaders need to be good at seeing the possibilities behind the problem. And, uh, you know, the, I remember when I was a pastor, I was a young guy. I was just I was just late 20s. And there was this big guy, worked for the government. He was a, an imposing power broker in the church, you know. And uh, he he intimidated people and he had a, he, he had cultivated, uh, intimidating people to get his way. And, uh, but one one day uh, I got a call and he'd had heart trouble and he was at the hospital and they're going to go in. So I made my way down to the hospital and here's this, and he, he had a way of kind of getting in your face and towering over you. And now he's lying on a bed out in the hallway of a hospital, getting ready to get taken in to have heart surgery in a little, flimsy hospital gown and I walk in as his pastor to pray with him and encourage him. I'll tell you what, it, it changed everything in our relationship. And, uh, you, you, that's why, you know, people say crises are a terrible thing to waste. You know, if, right. you, if you, if a crisis comes, there are possibilities. And, and, and I tell people, if you're leading in times of COVID, um, people are going to remember how you led and they're going to, if you're a pastor and maybe you couldn't meet physically for a while, they'll remember if you reached out to them and checked mm. in on them. Uh, my son is a pastor, a church, church planner, mm. uh, couldn't meet in their early stages of their new church. 
So his wife had a bread making machine and as fast as she could crank out homemade bread, he was bringing loaves of bread and dropping them off on the, on people's doorsteps. And he'd wave at them from the sidewalk, say, just want, you know, we love you. Mm. Miss you. And I'll tell you what, uh, in times of when the, when the COVID sort of passes, he's going to have all these loyal people saying, I've never had a pastor that brought me homemade bread before. That's right. But it's it just trying to find ways to say, look, um, Every, it's in times of crisis, everybody has their eye on the leader. What's he going to do? Mm. And so, uh, you know, that that's why with COVID and the race issues right now, non-leaders just see it as, wow, this is terrible. Look at all these problems. Uh, true leaders say, this is an opportunity for me to do what God called me to do, to use all the wiring that God's wired me with all these years. Uh uh, the things I'm passionate about, I get to, to use them now to, to tackle problems. And, uh, and everyone's watching to see how you do it. And uh, you'll, you'll come out of it uh, with people more loyal to you, more grateful to you. Uh, the, you know, they, when things are going well, everybody's, got, everybody's an expert. Mm. But when, when there's a real problem, all of a sudden they're wanting to, they're wanting to know if, the, if the, the leader has got some solutions and they're listening and you'll have an opportunity to lead like you haven't had before. And so I, I tell leaders, don't squander this opportunity uh, to lead in front of your people because uh, you, you, you will, I, I'll never forget when I was a seminary president, I was, they, they hired me when I was 31 years old. I was way too young to lead a seminary. I was actually the youngest guy in the entire payroll when, when uh, I walked in the door and uh, the first year or two, I didn't even realize it, but all of the faculty had protested and said, you're going to, ruin this school by hiring this young inexperienced guy to lead us and well about three years in we the seminary faced the worst crisis it had ever faced and uh i remember when i kind of had to i mean it tore me up it, it kept me up at night but i mean we worked our way through and i i had to make some really tough calls I had to fire somebody that was probably the most popular guy in the whole school and when it was all said and done uh, i remember my academic dean pulling me aside uh, and he said, Richard, you've always been the leader here ever since you were hired. But he said, after this crisis, now everybody sees you as a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, you had the post before, but now people actually view you that way. And it, it wasn't until the worst crisis that we'd gone through that I got to that place. And so there, there is great opportunity for leaders here in times of crisis. And so don't just be bringing your hands, hoping to get back to the, the good old days. Uh, seize the day and lead in a way that God has wired you to. And, and it may, and I tell people, if you're leading right now, God knew COVID was coming That's right. and he put you in that That's place because right. he knew that he could use you in that place to make a difference. God trusted you with this crisis. And so uh, lead well and trust him. As a student of history, I'd love to know, how do you think this season of life that we're in right now through COVID and race relations and such a divided country in, in all, it really, whether it's school opening or you, you can name the Wear topic and everybody, everybody's got every a mask. Everybody's got a different idea. How do you think history is going to remember this season of time? Well, you know, that's what, I, that's what I love about history is because that's more 2020. I mean, you look back and this is how it turned out, you know, you don't know how it's going to turn out going forward, but uh, and, you know, it's funny uh, when uh, Germany was just sweeping all over Europe in World War II and uh, it just seemed unstoppable. Hitler just seemed nobody could stop him. Uh, 
Uh, and Churchill had famously said, I wish, uh, I wish Hitler would read history. He'd find out what his future is. Mm. And basically what Churchill was saying is Napoleon was just like him. And he, yeah. he, he tried and tried to invade England. He couldn't do it. Ultimately he got defeated. What, what Churchill was saying is history, you know, when you, when you are a student of history, you, you realize these things that seem so huge at the time, um, th they will pass. Right. Uh, you'll get to the other side. And it, it wasn't the end of the world. Like everybody said it was. And, uh, but what history does do is, it it shows you uh, like like in World War Two, people thought. I mean, when it was starting, everybody thought that Churchill was a buffoon, and they all thought that Neville Chamberlain was a sophisticated leader that could guide them through this complicated time. Well, history proved otherwise. That's right. Uh, and what you're going to find with this is whether it's you're looking at companies or churches, um, when you start reading those leadership books ten years from now. This is going to be a huge case study. There's going to be so many references to this period in books to come, and uh, and, and what they're going to say is, you know, here this company was like twelfth in size in their industry, but they made adjustments. They adapted. They were quick early adapters. They saw that the conditions were changing, and so they made the adjustments that need to be made. And they leapfrogged over all their competitors to become number one. And now looking back, it's obvious that that's what everyone should have done, but, you know, they didn't, most people didn't do it. Churches will be the same way. Right. You know, a, a bunch of churches were just looking to the past saying, we just wish we could go back to the way things used to be. But there were some churches saying, but that's the world's not going backwards. It's going forward. So let's adapt. Let's make the adjustments. And those are the churches now that are the mega churches of today and the ones that are having the greatest influence. If, if, I've been reading leadership books long enough to know that, uh, whether it's 9-11 or it's whatever it is, uh, they're going to be looking at this time and watching how people led. Mm -hmm. And there will be people that adapted, made adjustments, uh, looked to the future, and they came out stronger than ever. And others that clung to the past wouldn't make the adjustments, wouldn't change, and they just dwindled away to, to a, just a, a shell of what they used to be. You know that's what's going to happen. That's that's what history teaches us every yeah. time. You know, and I, in in your book, you really break down between leadership and spiritual leadership, and I think it's so important. This whole podcast we talked about before we went on air. The passion of this is for leaders to lead with their faith out in front. How would you define spiritual leadership? When we use that phrase, would you use it in your book or use it in the Blackaby Coaching, which we'll hit there at the end today. Um, and definitely hitting our show notes, how people can sign up for that. How would you define spiritual leadership? What does that mean to you? Well, you know, certainly the leadership part, you can be a, you can be a, an effective leader uh, and not be a Christian. Obviously there's people that have done that in political fields and other fields. Uh, and, and those are, you know, people that are making a difference, uh, solving problems, but a spiritual leader is someone that's, fundamentally is being guided by the Holy Spirit. And, mm -hmm. uh, and there's, we, we say spiritual leadership. We don't say Christian leadership. We, there, there are people who are Christians, but they're not necessarily spiritual leaders. There are people who are just because you're a Christian does not mean you're a spiritual leader. Mm -hmm. You may, I think one of the great uh, problems with the church today is that the church often tries to do God's work the world's way. 
Mm. Uh, and so you can be a Christian, but still just use worldly methods, just like everybody else. And uh, and I read secular books, but I, I'm always careful to not just try to lead the way the world says to lead. I, I want to be informed by some basic principles, but uh, but when you've got the Holy Spirit within you, He knows the future. He knows how COVID is going to turn out. He knows, uh, uh, you know, He He knows the, the, how politics are going to turn out, and uh, so He He can guide you uh, to, uh, to to navigate you into the future because He knows what's waiting for you there. Uh, and, and the spirit of God knows the ways of God, Isaiah 55, eight, nine, God says, your ways aren't my ways. Um, and so we keep trying to do God's work our way or the world's way and not getting the results that we would like to have. And, but the spirit of God is an expert in the ways of God. So he, if you listen to him, he's going to prompt you to do some things that don't make sense. I've had, mm-hmm. I've had, you know, as I've led, I've, I really felt led uh, to do some things and people thought I was crazy. They thought I was going to bankrupt our organization by taking the step of faith. And I'd say, well, I, I know it sounds crazy, but if you'd heard what the spirit of God told us, you'd, you'd realize we didn't have any choice. And so spiritual leadership, now you can be a spiritual leader in corporate America. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I, I work with Christian CEOs in some very big companies and, uh, and we we teach them how to be led by the spirit every day as they go into court. They're it's a publicly traded company. It's uh, not a Christian organization, but uh, the spirit of God is not baffled by how to lead those either. And uh, so we tell people you can be a spiritual leader teaching in a in a public school, uh, being a doctor at a hospital. Uh, you know, you could be if you've got the spirit within you. He wants your life to make a difference. And that's essentially what spiritual leadership is, is God working through your life in the whatever role he's, he's given you uh, to make a difference for the kingdom and to address people's problems, uh, to, to make things better. I love that. I love that thought. And I love that it's that spirit working in you. What confidence comes to you as a leader when you know it's not just your knowledge you're following or a book that you've read or another leader you're trying to emulate, but you know that you're walking with the spirit, you're keeping in step, as Paul would say, with the spirit. What confidence does that give a person as a leader? You know, to me, that's just, it makes all the difference. When when you know that you're in the job you're in because God puts you there and mm-hmm. God is guiding you. I, you know, I, uh, in this COVID time, of course, like everybody, no one has been here before. So uh, I'm leading a nonprofit. We rely upon donations uh, to pay our bills. And, and, and also a, a major income stream is just me speaking places and all the honorariums going into our ministry coffers. And I've had, about 30 trips canceled because of COVID. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden the revenue is, is gone. And, and, uh, so we're, you know, we're, people are, well, do we apply to the government? Do we, what, what do we do? How do we pay the bills? Are we gonna have to lay everybody off, shut things down? And every, every leader is having to face that. But I just really believe that God would guide us if we just, and, and it wasn't like there's a right and a wrong just use your brain. It was, no, I, this is very complicated. It's, uh, it's it, what might be right for us. Isn't right for someone That's else, right. but we, we've got to do what's what God wants us to do. And I remember, right. Uh, I, I mean, I, I had my VP coming in saying, we've got this much money in the bank and we got <laughs> payroll coming up and w- w- Richard, what do we do? That's everybody. All of a sudden they want the leader to have an answer. 
And I said, I just believe that God has a purpose for us and God's going to still use us. And so let's not panic. Let's just keep our spiritual eyes open. And we prayed and asked God to guide us. Now let's just be sensitive to what he does. And, and it, you know, early on, like I think in April, uh, I'm, I'm being inundated with, you may want to try to see if you can get funding here or get a grant there or whatever. And, and uh, I got a message uh, from the office saying, oh, what, someone that he was a donor to us in the past, he hasn't given in year two, two years at least, but uh, he sent in a, a check and it was a, it was a nice check. Uh, certainly will help us a bit, you know? And so I just felt impressed. I mean, we always, we have a process as we process donations and then I'll send a letter for that with a receipt and so on. But I just really felt impressed just to reach out to him and just email the guy and, and just say, listen, you just really blessed us today because mm -hmm. we're trusting God uh, for our resources. And we prayed and asked God just to provide and, and you stepped up. And uh, I just want, I just want you to know how much that encouraged me for your gift. Well, he emailed me back in like 15 minutes and he said, uh, and he, he mentioned the amount that I, that he'd given. I said, he said, there must be a mistake. He said, because I actually told my accountant, I wanted to give you 10 times that amount. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he said, so you keep that check. He said, but we'll, we'll send you another check for 10 times that amount. And I, I remember just, you know, I just sat back in my chair and just said, God, yeah, I can, we can trust you. And that's I, right. So I sent out a word to all of our staff and said, let me tell you what God did today. Uh, let's just hold the course, try not I mean, be good stewards. We certainly don't be wise or frivolous or wasteful, but uh, uh, listen, when you, when God guides you, you can trust him. That's and right. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret. And you know, God may sometimes ask you to do hard things. You may have to do layoffs and you, you may have to cut back and you may have to, sell assets. I mean, there, there's lots of ways that God deals with it, but you just know that when God's guiding you, even if it's painful, even if it's hard, uh, there's always, with God, there always is a solution. There's always a response a leader can take. That's what a fantastic story. And then you wonder, okay, Lord, if you hadn't prompted my heart to call him, yeah, would that have ever happened? Yeah. And you I know, don't if I wasn't do that, you that you know. day. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, but it's like, but that's the difference when you're led, when you're a spiritual leader that you're, you're listening constantly to the voice of the Holy spirit and he, and he's guiding you. And when, when all of a sudden you sense, uh, Hey, you, you know what? You just need to stop what you're doing and call. Well, well, Lord, I've got, you know, something coming up in 15 minutes and the spirit of God is saying, yeah, but you've got time. Just go ahead and send this message or, uh, I'll tell you what, it gets exciting when, when right. you let the spirit of God just begin prompting your emails and phone calls. And, and, and all of a sudden you just think, you know what? I haven't seen this guy. Uh, I should just see if he's free for lunch today. Um, mm. And just let God, I, I always say, just let God have the right to interrupt your schedule anytime he wants to. And uh, I'll tell you what, that makes leading a lot of fun when, when the spirit of God is upgrading <laughs> your leadership throughout the day. Mm. What's the greatest step? So it, it, maybe there's somebody listening today and they go, I'm a Christian leader. I go, I go to church. I'm in a small group, um, but I wouldn't qualify myself as a spiritual leader. I wouldn't say that I'm somebody that that's letting the spirit guide my daily walk and daily decisions. I, I don't necessarily shelf my spirituality on Sunday, but when I go into to being a principal or an athletic director or a coach on Monday, I don't think about 
God as much? What's the best step you would advise them to take to begin to involve that spiritual aspect of their life in their leadership? Well, you know, I, I think certainly probably one of the best things you can do is just determine uh, starting Monday morning that you're going to just set your alarm 30 minutes earlier or an hour earlier and uh, get up and just start it with him. Mm. Uh, The problem is that you, you jump out of bed Monday morning and you're race, you're, you've just been swept up into the current of all your busyness and you've not yet checked in with God. And Mm. so Mm. when you become a Christian, you're born again. And that means you're given spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, spiritual senses. But just like a little baby, you may, you know, when a newborn baby is born, they can see you, but they have no idea who you are. That's right. (laughs) When you're you're shoving your face into their face, they don't know who the strange creature is that's crowding their space. But when they see you, they just don't recognize any of the significance of what they see. And I see a lot of Christians who have spiritual eyes, but they just don't, they don't recognize what God's doing around them. This, these opportunities that God is, keeps bringing their way. And so I tell people, listen, if you, don't, if you say you don't see yourself as a spiritual leader, it's not that God's not saying stuff to you. It's that you have never been taught to recognize his voice mm. and so, or to recognize his activity. But I can promise you God is working around you too. And there are opportunities for you to be involved with what he's doing. You just got to learn to recognize it and learn to use your spiritual eyes and ears and, uh, and, and, and every day just sort of calibrate your spiritual senses to the spirit of God. And so that's what quiet times are meant to be. Not, not for you to quickly just read a devotional uh, page in your, your, your devotional book or frantically read a chapter in the Bible so you can check the box. It is about just quieting your spirit uh, just tuning your spiritual senses all to God and saying, God, as I'm about to go to work today, just keep my spiritual eyes and ears open and help me not to miss it. And God, let me just make a commitment to you right now that if you show me what you're doing at work, I'm, even if it scares me to death, I'm going to commit to you right now. I'm going for it. And so if all of a sudden you prompt me to uh, you know, to go talk to somebody or invite them for lunch or to bring up the spiritual matters with a colleague at work. If you, if I feel you prompt me to do that, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going to do it. And uh, if you get things in place right off the bat, I can promise you that you will begin seeing stuff you hadn't seen before. But if you get swept up, you're running late, you're racing to work, you're stuck in traffic, you can't find a parking place in the company parking lot. You're, you're, you're in no condition then to be uh, aware of what God's doing. You're, you're so off balance and out of sync right now that uh, even the spirit of God's going to, he's going to have to shout pretty loud to get your attention back. So start out giving you, giving God your attention. And now you're in a much better place uh, to, to recognize what he's doing. Has that gotten easier as you've gotten older or is it, is it still a struggle for even you where you're at in your journey? Well, you know, I, I, I would say it's easier, uh, but it's still something you have to work at. It, yeah. it never becomes where you, you don't have to, you know, you don't need a quiet time anymore. Cause you just know how <laughs> you, you, you have to always do that. You have That's to right. always work, but, but it's, it, you know, and people have used the analogy of being married. It's, uh, when I've, I've been married now to my wife 37 years and, um, uh, you know, I'm just as married to her today as I was the day after our wedding day. We're, we're no more married now than we ever were, but I sure know her a lot better. I mean, I, now I could be sitting down in my office 
and just sense, I better go check on my wife. Mm, <laughs> I just that. sense, I, I, I haven't heard from her for a little bit. I just feel prompted by the spirit to go check. And sure enough, I discover that uh, she's in maybe in our room kind of feeling sad because she got some tough news from a friend and, uh, and I minister to her and then, and then I get back to work and it's like, how did you even know to do that? You know, how did, mm. how did, well, I, I can't explain it to you. I, you know, all I can tell you is when you've been married a long time, you're, you're in such sync that I don't even have to be in the same room as my wife and I can just sense something is not right. And, uh, and so walking with God, it's the same way. It's if you said, well, how did you know God wanted you to do that? There are times I have to say, I, I don't know if I could put it into words. It's just that after walking with him, as long as I have, you just learn some things. You just, I, I recognize that still small voice. I didn't right. used to. When I was a teenager, God was speaking, and a lot of times I blew right past him. But I've learned what that voice means and that prompting. And I've just learned, stop whatever you're doing and and join him. And uh, so I, I would say it's, it's, it is easier in some ways, but you have to, it's like any relationship. If you're married 30, 40 years, you start neglecting that relationship, you're, you're going to be in trouble uh, all the same. Amen. You guys at Blackaby do a phenomenal work. For, for many of our listeners that may not be familiar with the Blackaby organization and what you guys are doing there through leadership and leadership coaching and all the things you're doing, share with them a little bit about the Blackaby organization and what you guys are up to. Well, uh, you know, my dad founded this organization, and uh, I'm the president now of it. But um, a lot of it focuses on on leadership, on just helping people to experience God, to to recognize what God wants to do through their life. Um, there's a lot of Christians in America, a lot of churches, and yet America seems to be getting worse and worse in so many ways. And I I think that's because there's a lot of Christians who've never been helped. Uh, to to join God in what He's doing, uh, you've got a lot of people trying to just be good people, being good neighbors, doing the best they can. But America doesn't need the church to do the best it can; it needs the church to do what only God can do. And mm-hmm. for that, you've got to know how to walk with God. And so, so we do that. And um, you mentioned uh, we 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 provide coaching services. If uh, if you're someone who just feels like you know I. I'm just kind of going through the motions. I just feel like there should be more in my life where I stuff at work is eating my lunch. Um, We've got coaches that can walk alongside you and help you just work through some of that. But we also have a workshop that teaches people how to be a coach. Uh, And, you know, one thing I discovered is that in all the training I had, I was always trained to provide the answer. That's right. Uh, But no one ever trained me to ask the right question. And, you know, a lot of times, even just parenting teenagers, uh, they're not necessarily looking for you to tell them all the answers. But if you learn to ask the right questions, they'll discover the answer themselves. And it's always more powerful when people find the answer themselves than if they're just told what the answer is. So uh, that's what our coaching workshops do. And, you know, it's funny, we, uh, we, we always have a spring workshop and a fall workshop here in, uh, in the Atlanta area. And when the spring one was coming up, it COVID was raging. And uh, so we decided we're going to have to probably cancel, you know, had people a little nervous about coming. And so we, but then we just said, well, God, what do we do? This is really disappointing. Um, but then we decided, well, let's, we've never done it online before, but why don't we try doing it with Zoom? And, and uh, well, we had twice as many people sign mm-hmm. up for it that would have come in person. And it's like, Lord, um, instead of just 
grieving over the door that was closed. What show us the door you're opening? Mm. And all of a sudden, we touched twice as many people. And uh, and and then all of a sudden, we got people coming in. Instead of flying into Atlanta, we got people from Europe and Asia and other places saying, "Well, we now we can come to the workshop too. We're touching the world now." And it's like God. It's just amazing. Uh, you know, a crisis, a pandemic starts shutting things down, and then God comes along and just opens things back up, even in a more broad way. And so that's our ministry. We, our byline is just helping people experience God. Mm. So whether it's through conferences, workshops, uh, podcasts, different things, it's just trying to help help people uh, learn how to take their walk with God to another level and their influence for God to another level. Well, I will, and I told you this before we went on, probably out of coming to know Christ, those three days I spent with you guys back in 2013, for me, were massive spiritual stepping stones. And not things you don't know, but sometimes you need to remove the rocks to remember the things you do know. And uh, for anybody listening in, it is the the book spiritual leadership is by far the best spiritual leadership book I've ever put my hands on and leadership book. But that weekend intensive of the three days, whether it's virtual or whether it's in person, boy, if you have a heart for that, it is, uh, I ended up there just so randomly. And I thank mm-hmm. the Lord because it totally changed the trajectory of my ministry Mm-hmm. Those those three days with you guys, and then the coaching you're able to provide. Thank you for what you're doing because y'all are truly making a difference for the kingdom. Well, you know what what that reminds us of is that there's a whole lot of people out there that are serving the Lord and they're doing good work, but there's a whole other level they could go to. They, That's right. Sometimes you just you know we're in a rut. We're we're doing what we know, and just having someone, whether it's a coach or someone, to walk alongside you for a little bit and ask the right questions. It's amazing the, the things that all of a sudden you begin to see that you hadn't seen, but it was right under your nose, but That's right. you just needed some, a fellow traveler to just help you to identify what this was. And you kept stumbling over the same thing. And then you realize, well, this is God trying to invite me to join him. And I, I saw it as a distraction. This might actually be the most <laughs> important thing I do. That's uh, exactly and, right. Uh, but I just needed help to recognize it for what it was. You know, <clears throat> sad part is I've got about a page of notes I'm not going to get to today because of time. Uh, so I've got to get you back. So I want to definitely sure. get you back on another time because you're a phenomenal. I'm just fascinated by this. Um, final question I've got for you. When you look back in the rearview mirror of your journey and people are talking about Richard Blackaby, your your beautiful wife, your children, your grandchildren, the people in your organization that you've led, what do you hope they say about Richard Blackaby and how you use your time here on earth? Um, you know, I, I, I may, maybe two things. One is just that uh, people that cross paths with me, I, I hope that after spending time with me, they thought more of my God mm. and that they, they, that was what with my dad, that's what always happened. They, after you talked to my dad for a while, you wanted to go home and grab your Bible and you wanted to get to know that the, the God of Henry Blackaby that he had just talked about. And so I, I, I hope that there's just a, a trail of people behind me that after at crossing paths, they said, I'd love to be able to pray like Richard does or mm. to trust God the way he does. And, uh, and, you know, I think kind of maybe just as a part of that, um, 
my own hope is that there'll be a spiritual legacy left behind. I'm I'm keenly aware that I have really a very brief life. I've lived a good part of that life already, and and so soon it's done. And I know people that spend all kinds of time trying to invest in property or retirement funds or other things, and uh, nothing wrong with being a good steward, but. Uh, but that stuff all gets dispersed so quickly or fought over by your heirs and and uh, squandered and wasted. And I, I want to leave a legacy that lasts a lot longer than that. And uh, and probably the greatest uh, joy I have right now is just watching my three kids. Uh, all three of my kids uh, have been to seminary. Uh, my two sons have PhDs in apologetics. Uh, one's a pastor. One works with us. Uh, my daughter works with us. My son-in-law works with us. Um, just watching the next generation, I mean, they, they're pretty brutal about criticizing my sense of humor and uh, my dress code and a few other things. Uh, they, they're millennials and they love poking fun at boomer parents, but, uh, but they all serve in my God and they're all investing in, in that work. And, uh, and I love, uh, sharing with them and growing with them. We have a, all my kids and my son-in-law, we have a book club. We, we pick hard books and challenging books and read them. And then we have lunch and we discuss them. And then we pick another book. And I'll tell you what, to sit at a table surrounded by millennials and I'm the lone boomer uh, learning together. Uh, that's awesome to me. And so, you know, one day I won't be at that table anymore, but uh, hopefully all those participants will have been inspired to keep growing. They'll remember the old guy that kept reading these out there apologetics books that their kids wanted to read uh, way out of my league, but um, but plowing through and reading and wanting to grow with them. And uh, so I, I hope that my life will have inspired some people to want to keep growing as well. I hope you enjoyed that time with Dr. Blackaby. I'm telling you, if you do not have his book, Spiritual Leadership, you need to go get it. Hit pause, go order. It is so good. And these leaders that I am privileged to work with and walk with are some of the best in the business in our community. And all of us, no matter what field that they're in, all point to that book as a transformational leadership book. And I am a better leader today because my path crossed with Dr. Richard Blackaby. Thank you so much for your time. Boy, that was good. Well, our next episode is also going to be a fun one. We'll go back to every other week beginning in February. And our next episode, we get to sit down with Randy Gravett. Randy was a guest early on in the podcast, and I am so excited to have him back. Randy brings so much experience and leadership, working from Chick-fil-A to so many other professional organizations in leadership development, and uh, I think you're going to love our time with Randy Gravett. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, hit pause. Go and leave us a rating or review. I know it means the world to us and helps us stay on the radar of those who don't know who we are yet. Once again, thanks for tuning in today for our celebration episode of 100 episodes. You're a good friend to have stuck around. And I hope the material we're providing you is helping you be the leader that you were created to be so you can live out God's plan in the space and the place that he's put you. Have a great day. 
Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.